Um, so so I, re- I, I honestly, and you think I say this because I have to say this, but, but I'm so excited um, to be here tonight. I've been, you, like you could ask for my I've just been like anxious the last couple of days. And, and I've been on staff here at Sovereign Hope for six years um, now. And I don't think I've ever been as excited about anything we've done as a church than I have been about GCF. Um, and, and the reason I, I, I'm, I'm so giddy uh, about this year, and this is our third year, full year being on campus, we haven't really done um, a lot of advertising or, or outreach in the first two years because we were just getting our feet under us. We are figuring out what it meant to be um, on campus and to do that kind of stuff. But, but now I'm excited for, for lots of reasons. One of the reasons is, is that you look, if you look back at the last 600 years in church history, most of the major movements um, have been led by college students. The Reformation was, came out of the universities. Um, the modern missions movement was largely due in part by the volunteer movement that was stemmed from universities. And you look at what social media um, is changing right now and the social media reform that's both political and religious and, and moralistic, all of that comes from um, largely college students who are embracing platforms to air their voice and changing culture as a result of that. And I'm excited for this, but I want us to have the right expectations because I'm excited to be faithful to what God has called us to do. I'm excited because, um, not because I think that people are going to look back uh, and write uh, a textbook about how GCF in 2013, 2014 started um, the next Reformation or something like that or started the next great missions movement. That would be great. But I'm excited because in being faithful to what God has called us to do, there will be fruit. There will be results. We may never see those results in our lifetime, but when we are faithful to what God has called us to do, God does what he has promised to do. And so I'm excited for that very reason. I'm excited that this is a group um, of college students. I was reading some John Stott um, earlier this week as, as he, ha- he wrote um, a commentary on Ephesians. In his introduction, he's talking about all these places he went um, to speak, and it, it was Sri Lanka, and it was Australia, and it was uh, um, all around Britain, and in Africa, and in the Polynesians, and in America, and he had this quote, looking at everything um, that he had spoken to, and everyone he had spoken to, he said, no audience is more alert and critical than of one composed of college students. And that's part of the reason I'm so excited um, for this, because as much as culture tells us, and you see this in movies, and you see this in music, and you see this as just kind of this projection that's put on the college landscape, is that college is really a time to slow down and make mistakes, right? It's like chill out, smoke a bowl, try dumb things. It's like, may, like maybe go to class. Um, it's, it's, it's this place where culture gives you a pass to have no idea what you want to do with your life. But I've realized, um, as I've gotten to know and work with college students, that each college student at some level has a drive to do something. Despite what culture tells us, despite what we learn on TV, there is this overwhelming drive to do something, specifically in the ages between 18 and and 32. There's this, this, this zeal for something. And we had 14 interns um, this summer working on, on just uh, developing um, pastoral care at Grizzly Christian Fellowship, developing outreach, kind of building our core. Um, and one thing we did is we were present on all of the orientations and various um, happenings on campus. And some of you, we met during those things and, and you kind of realized we had a system of small talk because it's awkward to just talk to a stranger. Um, and so you, you kind of learn and you're just like, hey, where are you from? What's your major? Um, 
And then one question I would always ask as a follow-up is after they tell me, uh, this is my major, I'm undecided, uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing athletic training, um, whatever it is, it's, well, what do you want to do with that? And, and it was amazing because 80% of those students right off the bat were, That's what I, this is what I want to do. This is my plan with that. And the funny thing was, um, is that the majority of the, the rest, that 20% or so, they would say, um, I don't know, what I really want to do is this. And so, so even though the, it's like they shouldn't know what they're doing, right? I'm, I'm 18 years old. I don't really know. Um, this is my first year in college. But I do have something I'm working for. I do have something. It could be a dream. It could be um, this, this idea that, that I think is hard to reach. But, but deep down, there was something dictating what it was they wanted to do. And that's not saying that as you guys go through college and you, you develop relationships and, and you grow and you get involved and you get a job and you get married and you have kids, that's not to say your desires and your skills and the needs around you won't change. But it is a fallacy then to say that college students are not big picture oriented. It's a fallacy to say that you guys um, are mindlessly floating through your existence here on campus. And this is important because, as we've mentioned, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians this year. Um, and what the book of Ephesians is going to do is it's going to look at the desires that each and every one of you has for your life, and it's going to rip them open. It's going to expose them, and it's going to elevate them. It's going to look at your desires, your goals, and your dreams, and, and it's going to be reframed in light of what Paul is trying to tell us in this book. Because there's a problem, and you see, as much as we want to do something as college students, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, there's a problem that tends to stop things, that tends to bring things to a halt, that tends to take um, this, this idea that we have and slow it down. And that problem is individualism. And you see that in our culture. It's the, I, the iPad, the iPod, the iLife. You don't like your radio station? Personalize it. You don't like your perception in real life? Change it online. It's all about you can present what you want to present. You can listen to what you want to listen to. You can watch what you want to watch. You can order what you want to order. Um, you could go to Baskin Robbins and get whatever ice cream flavor you want to get. It's all about personalizing your life. And this is really how I approached school when I was um, on campus, is, is I had a plan, and plans are good. I, I had a want. Wants are good. I had a desire. Desire is good. I wanted to be a phys physical therapist because I wanted to work in sports. And then I realized that I didn't want to do any of the school for physical therapy. Um, and so instead, I went into broadcast journalism because I wanted to talk about sports. Um, and, and I did well. I, I did that. I, I became a broadcast journalist. I had a sports talk show. I did all this stuff. Um, but the problem was my vision for my life and what I wanted to do was far too narrow. And see, I was kind of torn here because I was a Christian. Um, and, and I knew that at some level, when, when people say big picture and you're in a church context, it's like big picture is heaven, right? Big picture is eternity with Jesus and clouds and harps and all that jazz. Like that's, that, that was what I knew big picture should be. But that big picture was in a different room than the one I was living in right now. My big picture here on this earth was something that, that I had to control. It was about me. It was about my desires. It's like, what am I going to do um, in, in like the framework of the big picture? But that's a problem because it's not two separate pictures for a Christian. You see, the biggest problem facing the church today isn't legalism on one side and liberalism on the other. The biggest stumbling block to evangelism isn't our postmodern and enlightened culture. 
The biggest threat to the expansion of God's kingdom isn't evolution or Islam. The biggest threat to the cause of Christ is an individualistic and half-hearted gospel that brings false assurance and inhibits your witness in this current life. And at some point um, along the line of Christianity, the good news of the personal gospel of Jesus Christ became the good news of the private gospel of Jesus Christ. We privatized the word of truth. And this is what Paul is aiming to correct in the book of Ephesians. Paul is going to present, um, as we go through this the rest of the year, with a framework which should dominate the decisions we make, the friends we make, the conversations we have, and the life we choose. And I'm excited to bring this message to college students because I, I think that we have all this time, we have all this energy, we have all this desire, we have this capacity, this campus to learn things, to be exposed to things. And I think when we grasp what Paul is presenting to us, something pretty amazing can happen. Something, um, it's like a catalyst. And I'm excited for this because so many times, um, on one hand, culture says college students just major in goofing off. And the other time, it's these visionary dreamers. I love Ephesians because it gives us the dream. And the beautiful thing about biblical dreams is that they all end up in reality. This isn't something that doesn't happen. This isn't something that we hope for. This is something that will happen. And Paul is going to show us that the Christian life is not a life of individualism, but one of globalization. One that is moving an intentional force towards the call of Christ. And tonight we're going to look um, as Paul introduces this book. And in introducing this book, he's actually giving an outline um, of the book. And this serves as a great message as kind of an intro um, to what Grizzly Christian Fellowship is, as an intro to what we want to try to do, um, because what Paul is writing in Ephesians, I mean, mirrors what our hopes for, what our hope is for this group and for sovereign hope and for the church of Christ um, at large. And so we're going to dive into this, um, but I just want to pray first, so... Lord, uh, man, we thank you that the gospel produces. Um, and Lord, we just pray uh, as we gather in front of your word, you, you tell us things about your word. You tell us things about your Holy Spirit. You tell us things about the cross. And those things do not result in empty head knowledge, but it results in a heart transformation. And so God, we ask that as we open your word, that you guide the words of my mouth um, so that the Holy Spirit has ample um, opportunity to work, that we may provide venue for the transforming work of Christ, and most importantly, that we may hear and respond to the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ in our own lives. Lead us to a place of repentance, lead us to a pl place of celebration, but most importantly, lead us to a place where our affections treasure the cross and life of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, um, as Stephen said, you could open your Bibles or your, your, your cell phones or tablets or whatever, or you could look on a screen, because um, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians tonight. And just a brief introduction, um, the book of Ephesians is what's called an epistle. Um, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and there's a unique thing about the letter of the Ephesians that isn't there in the letter to Colossae or Philippi um, or Galatia, and that's that it's not very specific in what it's talking about. When Paul wrote to these other churches, such as Corinth, he's addressing specific needs of that, that local church. 
He's talking to specific people in that local church. He's thanking specific people. He's talking about specific heresies in that, that specific geographic area. But none of that specialization is in Ephesus. It's a very, very broad letter. Um, in fact, some of the earliest manuscripts, as we'll see here in a second, there's a phrase um, in your Bibles that says, who are in Ephesus? In some of the earliest manuscripts, that phrase isn't there. And what they think happened is that Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians. We see that in Acts where he, um, he dedicated someone to bring this letter to the Ephesians after Paul had spent three years with the church in Ephesus. Um, he brought this letter to the Ephesians, but his goal was to have this letter circulated through the rest of the churches in Asia Minor. And so that some say that's why this letter is so broad, is that this was a letter written to the global church, not the specific local church of Ephesus, but to the church, the whole church um, of God. This book was written for the universal church. And that means that the ideas and content it presents, as with the rest of scripture, um, are pertinent to all churches everywhere. That means that this book, the book of Ephesians in the Bible, was written for us. While Paul was writing this book in 64 AD in prison somewhere to the people primarily in Ephesus, he was also writing this book to us sitting in Chem 123 in the year 2013. And so with that, that idea, that weight of Paul's words in our minds, I want us to look at our text today, which is Ephesians 1 and 2. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's it. That's the pretty brief text um, that we're going to be going over tonight. And as I sat down um, to divide up this series and kind of portion out texts, um, my eyes and most of you um, in your Bibles have a break. And after verse 2, it says, spiritual blessings in Christ. My eyes kind of ignored those first two verses and jumped to verse three, right? Because verses one and two are just a greeting, right? It's Paul saying hi to his people. And I looked at that and I'm like, okay, this is great because I could take those, the greeting and I could say hi to you guys like Paul says hi. Like I could get up here and I could talk about GCF and I could talk about community groups and I could talk about these events we want to do and, and what we want to, and this one-to-one Bible reading, all this kind of, these plans we have because it's just an introduction, right? It's, it's a launching point where we can, Paul is just like, Paul's, Paul's showing up to his first campus session. We could show up to our first campus session, right? Um, and, and, but as I, as I really looked at this this week, thinking that, well, what am I going to talk about? Because the Bible's not talking about much. Um, I was really convicted of that view um, for two reasons. It was wrong of me to think of this passage and ignore this passage. The first reason was because um, it ignored the nature of Scripture. And if you look at 2 Timothy 3, Verses 16 and 17, um, Paul says this. He says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be com competent, equipped for every good work. And you see that line there? And then, first of all, that completeness. We want that completeness, and Paul's giving us the source. It says, The word of God is God breathed, it is inspired, it is living, and the word of God presents you as complete. The word of God labors on you, and it labors inside of you. And it was really weird as I was sitting here reading these two verses, like stressing over, like, What am I going to say about hello? What am I going to do with this? I realized um, a thought that, that was kind of like, 
mind-blowing to me is that there is more power for personal transformation in these two verses from Paul's greeting than there is in the entire literature written outside of this. Think about it, because God has privileged scripture to transform lives and present Christ. This two-verse greeting from Paul has more ability to change your life than any other thing written outside of the Bible. Any other philosophical book, any books of the Stoic, any self-help books, any chicken soup for the teenage soul, this has more power to change you than all of those combined. So it was wrong of me to think of it in that way. It was also wrong of me to ignore this passage um, because I ignored the reshaping of theology that Paul is trying to promote in this book. You see, these first three verses are Paul's greeting to the people in Ephesus, but they're also densely packed with his goals for this book. Paul is is giving an example of how he wants the church of Ephesus um, to be, and we'll see that as we continue to go through this book. And there are three points, um, three views that I want to look at quickly uh, in this first uh, two verses of Ephesians. And what this is, is it's really like a 10,000 foot flyover over the book of Ephesians. We're just going to kind of touch on things that Paul is going to be developing at length as we continue through this book. And so the first thing that we see in this introduction that can seem so meaningless um, is Paul's view of himself. Paul's view of himself. We see this in verse 1, uh, part A, where it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of of God. See, Paul introduces himself um, as an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. Now, Paul has spent three years with these guys. Three years. I mean, you guys may have met roommates in this time who you've spent less time with, who you already greet like your, your chummy chums. Um, and Paul spent three years with this guy. And he's like, yo, it's Paul. Sup, guys? Um, but he chose specifically to say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You see, Paul's highest identity is not Paul from Tarsus. It's not Pastor Paul. It's not even Apostle Paul. It's Paul, the apostle of Christ by the will of God. You see, Paul realizes um, that the weight of who he is is what he has called to be. Who Paul is is shaped by whose Paul is and who has commissioned Paul to do that. And remember that? I mean, that's Vacation Bible School 101 um, where you get the Damascus Road experience, right? How many of you guys have been there? And Paul is writing um, to go kill some more Christians um, and his donkey rubs him up against a wall um, and starts talking to him and then he's blinded, right? And you're remembering this story um, because Paul, he says, by the will of God, he's been appointed apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't appointed by the church. They didn't call together a convocation and say his name was Saul back then. Like, I see real fruit in Saul. We should think about commissioning him to something. Paul didn't have an aspiration inside of him where you see later that those who desire to be pastor or elder should aspire to be pastor or elder. He didn't have an aspiration. Paul was killing Christians. That was Paul's job. He was a murderer he was a briber, he was a manipulator, and God intervened and said, Saul, your name is now Paul, and instead of killing Christians, I've chosen you to be a missionary to the Gentiles, and you're going to be making Christians. 
That, that transformation, Paul didn't get a choice. He's like, when God renames you and tells you what to do, you listen, okay? Um, and, and, and so God has this moment with Paul, and it's huge. And we all study, and it shapes the New Testament. He writes the majority of the New Testament. Paul's call defines him. And I've been raised um, in a Christian home, and I've seen lots of Christian things. Um, and I hear this common line uh, that it's like, I'm just waiting to see what I'm called to do. Um, and, and it's like, if only we were called like Paul, right? If only I was murdering Christians and God talked to me through a donkey, life would be so much easier. It would be clear. Um, and it's funny because we're content in the waiting. We really are. It's like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just laying low. I'm waiting to see what God has called me to do. Like, we can't stand waiting like a minute and a half for our Taco Bell burrito. It's like, if it's not ready at the window, I'm, Arby's is across the street, okay? Um, and so we're, we, we hate waiting, and yet we justify this idea in our heads where I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to go to church right now. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do my devotions. I'm just going to wait and see what God has called me to do. Um, it's, it's like we don't have this clear thing that Paul had, um, which is true. Most of us probably haven't had that experience of talking donkeys and, and God himself speaking to you. But look at how Paul talks about his calling in the book of Romans, verses 1 through 6. This is his introduction. Um, if you want to write good letters, you should look at how Paul introduces himself um, and starts off his letters because they're dense. Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, there you see his identity again, um, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the Gentiles. Look at this, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. You see what Paul just did, and we lose that because there's a lot of theology between point one and point two. Paul says, I am called, including you who are called. And so your calling in Christ is not separate from Paul's calling in Christ. You have a call on your life. If you are a Christian, you have been called, and Christians naturally do Christian things. We look at the Bible and we see that. No one had to sit around like Jesus gives us the Great Commission. He says, go forth and make disciples. But you already saw the apostles. It's like Jesus didn't tell them this good thing. They're like, sweet, we'll just, we'll just chill. It's like they start talking. Jesus heals somebody, and they don't go put it in their diary and bury it in the sand. Jesus heals somebody. He's like, hey, you better not talk about this. They're like, okay, Jesus healed me. It's like they can't control what's happening inside. It's just like the, the gospel comes out. Christians do Christian things. Christians do gospel things, speaking things, teaching things, living things, working things, praying things, hoping things, laboring things. Christians do things. To be a Christian is called to do. You don't wait. You do. And Paul starts with that. He's saying, this is, this is it. This is what I'm called to do. This is what you're called to do. We are of the same calling to do. Later in Ephesians, um, and we'll see this, uh, Paul, he encourages us to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. You see, this comes up over and over and over again in the Pauline epistles because according to Paul um, and according to the Bible, 
that your call to Christ is your greatest identity. Your call to Christ, your call to repentance, your call to the cross shapes who you are and what you are. To be a Christian is to have a purpose. We may manifest that purpose differently, but to be a Christian is to have a purpose. And there's this, this um, thing going around, um, and it's been present in every generation. It's not new, but it's this, this idea of individuality. Um, and we all like it, and we all embrace it, and we sing songs about how we're individuals, and we wear clothes that are individualistic, and we become hipsters, and we wear glasses like everybody else, and buy iPhones like everybody else, and we think we're being um, individualistic. But, but the reality is the most, is like our lives um, in sin is everybody else. It's like you think you're an individual because you can go and smoke weed and run around campus naked. I'm just trying to think of <laughs> sinful things. I'm not good at it. Um, you, you think that in doing that, like, man, I don't, dude, church, church is groupthink. I'm going to go and not do church. Congratulations, you just made up the majority of the world. Such an individual. Um, not going to church, that's a new concept. Cool for you. Um, be, because the most, what Paul is saying here is that if your identity is truly found in Christ, the most individualized you will ever be is in Christ. How many people lived a perfect life? One. How many people died for the sins of the world? One. How many people are able to bring you to salvation? One. That's, that's a pretty narrow club. Like, Christ will out-hipster you. Um, you're, you're not going to beat that. Um, and, and, so, and so when we're looking at this, the, the reality of who we are and what we're called to do shapes our, our desire. It shapes our, our view of ourself, and our view of ourself shapes our mission. So how do you view yourself? Through what framework do you view what you've been called to do? Do you, do, do you live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called? And how you view yourself, how does that change your goals in life? How does that affect your long-term thing? How does that affect your studies? How does that affect your relationship life? You may not be the Apostle Paul. You may not have had the exact same calling as the Apostle Paul but your call to Christianity bears the same weight as the Apostle Paul in terms of life transformation. The second thing we see um, in the introduction to Ephesians is Paul's view of others. You see this in the second part of verse 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. See, Paul looks at the people in Ephesians and he says, to the saints and faithful people who are in Christ Jesus. Now, saint is kind of an interesting word because Anchorman um, and the Catholic Church have ruined the definition of saint. What we know about saints is Dorothy Mantooth is a saint and dead people on stained glass windows are a saint. Um, and that's like our definition. We don't know what saints are. We don't know how you become a saint, um, but we know that some people are saints. And I actually looked this up. And according to um, the Catholic statement of statehood, uh, sainthood, there are four things required um, to be named a saint. The first is a servant of God. The second is to be a venerable um, slash heroic in nature. The third is to be blessed. And the fourth is that you must have at least two miracles performed by people praying incantations to you after your death. Okay, so the good news is, is you might become a saint, but you're going to die first. Um, but but that's, that's the qualifications for sainthood according to the Catholic Church. And just to ruffle some feathers, um, is, is what I'm going to do now is, is I'm going to ask you a question, and you can answer in your head. But it's like, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? 
Do you believe that, that you had a sin that Christ had to come and save and now you have life in him and that life changes things from here on out? Do you believe in Christ's burial, death, and resurrection? Death, burial, and resurrection in that order particularly. Um, then, uh, to continue the Reformation, uh, I now pronounce you saint whoever you are. Like, that's it. That's the biblical definition of saint. Saint means to be holy, to be set apart. And so we look at that and we're like, what is it? That's saints. What, what is that? Is that a higher thing? But Paul looks and he says, hey, church, hey, saints, hey, you who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He sees people who have a saving faith in Christ and who have been made holy. And we see in Romans 11, verse 16, we see Paul is talking about different Christians. And he says, if the dough offered as first fruit is holy, the whole, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If we have a holy God and a holy Christ and a holy spirit um, that has worked a holy work on you, chances are you're probably holy, okay? Rest, rest easy tonight. Um, if you have faith in Christ Jesus, you are holy. You are a saint. You are set apart. You are a special person because the great individual of Christ has worked an amazing work in your life. As Christians, you are saints. And this is important because Paul, this is what Paul sees. This is what Paul sees. He doesn't see Dave the blacksmith that he went fishing with. He doesn't see Susie the seamstress. Paul sees fellow saints who are in Christ Jesus, but also happen, and that's an important line, also happen to be in Ephesus. Saints in Jesus, in Jesus, in Ephesus. So to be a saint is to be faithful in Christ Jesus. And in this thing, uh, in this instance, saints are believers living faithfully in the present context. You know what's happened when churches or when people, saints, get together and they celebrate the word and they live together and they take the sacraments, it's, it's a church. The church in Ephesus is who he's writing to. It's saints living in a current location, being faithful in Christ Jesus, following all that Christ Jesus has called us to do. This idea of church is actually the main point that Paul is going to make in his letter. Not church not as the specific local church, but church as being grafted into Christ's church, as the global church that shapes the local church, but it's not the local church as it is in Colossians and Philippians, which we looked at last year. He's going to push the envelope, though, as to what church is and what the church does. And Paul wants to frame your life in light of how Paul sees you, in light of Paul seeing you first and foremost as being one who is a saint being found in Christ in your present context. We in here today, if you are a Christian, you are a saint in Christ Jesus, and you are also in Missoula. And that's important here because sometimes it's easy for us to, to understand one or the other. We can understand that we are saints um, in Jesus Christ. And like I said, I've been a Christian for, um, for, for a large portion of my life. I've been in the church all of my life. I went to a Christian school. I've seen Christian things. And I've seen Christians who only hang out with Christians, who only speak Christian, who only go to movies with Christian, who only watch Christian movies and don't manage to gouge their eyes out, um, who only go to Christian concerts, who wear cheesy Christian clothes. Um, if anybody ever makes a Christian clothing line that doesn't make me want to vomit, I will buy it. But until that happens, it's like, just, just wear a Nike shirt. Okay, um, it's, it's just weird and awkward. Um, and, and so they become so introverted on themselves that, that in being in Christ Jesus, they're that servant in Luke 19 whom the landowner gives, gives, gives 10 coins 
And he gives it to three people, and two people, um, the landlord comes back and they say, hey, I invested your coins, and here's more coins. And, and the third guy, like Tweedledee over here, is like, I buried it in the ground, so here's your ten. Um, and that's, that's the point of this story, is that what Christ has given you is meant to be brought on the outside and grown, not privatized on the inside. It's as if we find the cure for cancer, but prefer to hang out in the staff lounge than in the ER. And being in Christ and not in anything else, we privatize the gospel, we individualize the gospel, and we do it because it's safe. We do it because there's minimal risk, there's minimal pressure, there's minimal tension, and it's easy. And there's little sacrifice in this. But if you read 1 Peter, if you read the accounts of what happened to the apostles, to be scared of sacrifice is not to be a saint. To avoid sacrifice is not to be a saint. It's also easy, easy to live strictly in Ephesus and in Missoula and ignore the in Christ Jesus part. You see, in this we could privatize the gospel so much that the gospel is so dug privately inside of you that no one knows about it. That what you do, what you say, who you talk to, who you hang out with, what you eat and what you wear separates you from no one anywhere. The only thing that sets you apart is this hope hidden deep down in your soul that that somewhere because you said um, some prayer when you were six years old at vacation Bible school and maybe your parents went to church, this hope that just maybe you can live as everybody else does and then you can die and go to heaven. That's the only thing that separates you here. And we do that because that also is easy and that also is not a life of sacrifice. That's not what saints do. You see, to be a saint is part of the great paradoxes of the Bible. To be a saint, to be a Christian, is to be present in Christ, but also present in your local context. Paul isn't writing this to a church that's separate from God. He's not writing this to a church who's separate from the world. He's writing this to a people who are both rooted and established in Christ, while all the while being rooted and established in their current context. And it takes a faithful community to do this well. Because it it is hard, and it takes sacrifice, and it takes diligence, and it takes a community to do this. And that's why we as as GCF and as Sovereign Hope Church, we see how Paul views people, and we try to build community around the word that exists in non-Christian settings. I think it's valuable to be having this this, this sermon done in Chem 123 uh, in an area where non-Christians are. I love that Sean's community group meets in Aber, where people passing by can see it. I love when the worship team um, is warming up up here. I love opening the windows. Not that I think people are going to be saved by what's floating out of the windows, but that I think it's cool to do Christian things in a non-Christian setting, in an unobnoxious way, in a gospel, in a biblical way. We want to do this. We want to, we want to have community group in dorms. We want to offer shuttles to churches. We want to do community groups. We want to have events. We want to hang out in a place where people can see the body of Christ doing Christ things in Missoula, in Aber, in the UC, together amongst people who are not Christians, worshiping the God who has saved Christians. We must lift each other up towards Christ and push each other out towards others. And that's what Paul is getting at in the book of Ephesians. And that's what Paul is praying for. So how about you? How do you view others? Do you come here and see these people as random people who you just met and are weirding you out and hoping he, this guy's about to stop sweating and talking? Um, or, or do you view them as, as co-laborers, co-saints, locked in battle um, for the blood of Christ, needing the same encouragement, fighting the same fight? Or do you buck community and fellowship 
and retreat to the Christian ghetto? Or do you dissipate and hide your Christianity deep inside of you and sink into nominal hidden Christianity? We must live both in Christ and in the present context. That's the life of a saint. That's the life Paul is talking about. Thirdly and quickly is Paul's view of life. He says this in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing I love about Paul's letters, and it's convicting to me uh, as someone who, who's a pastor, is so many times our greetings are superficial, right? Um, I think I went to Wendy's the other day because they have a Monterey chicken sandwich for 99 cents. Um, and I went there, and I'm pretty sure the lady taking my order, and this is just, like, these are all pretty sures, because no one even thinks about your greeting anymore. And she's like, hey, how are you today? And I'm like, good, how are you? Uh, and then, like, the card is being exchanged, and then they give you a receipt. It's like, who wants the shame of keeping a fast food receipt? No one does. Um, it's like, just throw that away in there. I don't want to see it. I don't want proof. Don't even give me a bag. Keep your napkins. Um, but, uh, but, but, but can you imagine how awkward it would be if you asked that, like, oh, oh good, how's your day? And they're like, well, you know, let me talk to you about it. Um, it's been rough. I, like, they don't pay well here. The last lady didn't want mayonnaise on her sandwich, and some guy put mayonnaise on her sandwich. It's like, we wouldn't know what to do. We'd be like, oh, cool, you too, huh? And we, we drive off. Um, because in our greetings, in our greetings, we don't actually care. Like, we, we ask questions to be polite, but really, it's like we expect the answer to be good, and then we're going to walk away. That's what we're hoping for. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul anxiously and eagerly greets the church. Why? Because he's in Christ. Why? Because he sees the church as being from Christ. Paul's greeting is not like our greeting. Already we've seen the phrase of Christ, in Christ, and now Paul is saying grace and peace to you from Christ Jesus. Do you see a point Paul's trying to make here? You see, Paul is writing a uh, to a church in Ephesus, a, a city whose main economy has left. It was a seaport, but the, but the sea kind of retreated. There's this marshland there now. And actually, the main uh, industry in Ephesus um, was that there was a fertility temple that was there at one time um, to the fertility goddess, and they would sell idols. Ephesus, and I don't say this to just be, be brash, um, but Ephesus literally was a, a, a porn town. They would sell trinkets and idols um, of a fertility goddess, and that was the main economy there. And not only was this, um, this, this just sexually depraved, but it was also their religion. And this was the culture that the church in Ephesus was facing here. And the other towns to which Paul um, intended this letter to be circulated were starting to see persecution. Persecution at the hands of the Jews, Persecution at the hands of the Romans. And in 64 AD, while Paul is writing this, we're starting to see the inception of so many heresies that will shape the landscape of Christianity for millennia to come. See, Paul could have said lots of things to greet this church. But Paul chose to lead this with grace and peace to you from God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the greatest gift Paul can give this church is everything from the hand of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing Paul can give this church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in an individualistic gospel, there is no grace because you never receive things that are unwarranted. If you've earned everything because it's all about what I've done and what I'm doing, then you can't ever accept a gift because everything is just due payment. How can you be given a gift if you think you've earned everything? 
In an individualistic gospel, there is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no peace because everything you so desperately want can easily be taken away from you. Your goals, your skills, your life can be taken in a second. It takes one car crash, one phone call, one mistake, and everything we so desperately want with our lives that we've worked for, that we've labored on, that we've, we, we've desired for so long can be ripped away from us. And Paul looks at that and he says, the greatest gift I can give you is grace and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, the rest of this book, in chapters 1 and 2, Paul's going to talk about how we view ourselves. In chapters 3 and 4, Paul's going to talk about how we view others. In chapters 5 and 6, he's going to talk about how we view life as a result of who we are, who the church is, and how we live. And the beautiful thing um, is if you have your Bibles open and you fast forward to chapter 2, verse 21, you see the last word um, of that. And the last word of chapter 3 is amen. You see, this whole first chapter in the book of Ephesus isn't Paul saying, hey, let me sit you down and let me lay some theology on you. This first part of Ephesians is Paul's pastoral prayer for the church in Ephesus. This is Paul on his hands and knees praying that the gospel masters you. Praying that your identity is found in Christ, that your surrounding people are seen as the body of Christ, and that mercy, grace, and peace come to you through Christ. This is the prayer of GCF. This is the guide for GCF. This is what we stick to because we can come here and we can make jokes and talk about fast food restaurants and we could gather in our community groups and we could take the shuttle to campus. But unless the gospel changes who you are, this, this group will be for naught because there's no life change outside of this. There's no identity outside of the gospel. There's no community outside of the gospel. And there is no grace and peace outside of the gospel because the most gracious and the most peaceful God is the only place where that is ever found. And so I want us in this opening, I want us to, 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 to accept Paul's prayer. I want us to think about Paul's prayer. I want us to pray Paul's prayer until we get back next week. I want us to read through this week, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians and pray that over ourselves. I want us to join with Paul at the end of chapter 3 and say amen to everything that Paul is about to preach. And so I want to pray right now. Um, I'm grateful you guys are here. And I want to pray, and I want that prayer, and I want that identity, and I want that idea of body being in Christ and in Chem 123. I want that to shape how we respond in worship um, in closing. So let's pray. God, we thank you that, uh, that we can't look past any part of Scripture. I thank you that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, wrote to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And I thank you that he wants us to find grace and peace from God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way, the, the, the well that he gives us to find that is the gospel. And I pray for us as we start off this year, Lord, that we may be a gospel-centered people that we may preach to people um, that the salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. And that there is an identity change, that there is a sin that is dropped and a life that is taken because of what Christ has done. And God, may that life and that realization shape our worship, 
shape our response, shape our repentance, and shape every aspect of our life. We pray this in your name. Amen.